another season of first draft is underway. Jalen Carter, too quick, too powerful. Touch to that's a touchdown. That is a bad man. Oh, no, 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 Maybe the best player in the sport. Watch out for Mr. Robinson. Fifth touchdown pass for C.J. Stroud. Jackson Smith and Jigbo, arguably the top receiver in the country. If you didn't know the name Will Levis before tonight, you know it now. Richardson, lead throws a defender out of bounds. He is a highlight reel waiting to happen every time he touches the football. First Draft is back. It's our first episode in the month of April, and we are now just 22 days away from the first round of the 2023 NFL Draft. Field Yates, and as always, Mel Kuyper Jr. and Todd McShay are here, and today is a fun, fun show as we are not only going to break down Todd McShay's most recent mock draft, it's got two rounds in it. We're also going to talk about some of the players that have piqued Todd's interest a little bit further down the board, and Mel will go off script to wrap things up, but we're about 24 hours removed from the release of your two-round mock draft, Todd, and we're going to dive into a lot of the picks, but I want to know, what's the one pick that has made the internet most mad that you put in your 63-pick mock draft? Ooh, good question. <laughs> um, I would say I would say probably, probably the Colts trading up to three and getting Anthony Richardson for some reason. I, I don't know if people are mad, but I guess it's a combination of questions. Why is Will Levis falling a little bit? And, and do, do the Colts have to move up? And other people are mad that their team didn't move up to go get a quarterback. So it's always around the quarterbacks, typically, unless it's, you know, Jalen Carter and some of the character issue discussion. But Jalen Carter, I had coming off the board at number five to Seattle. And we, you know, at this point, considering everything that's going on and, and that he's just getting, you know, one year of probation, $1,000 fine, and 80, 80 hours of community service for the off-the-field off incident that he didn't, he wasn't, he was a part of, but he was not in the car that where two people were, uh, you know, wound up dead. So, you know, I, I think he's, with teams picking from five to ten, there are six teams right there that could take a defensive tackle. I don't see Carter getting out of the top ten, and I could easily see him going as high as number five. Notice that Mel Kuyper Jr. was in a great mood yesterday because he didn't have to actually do the mock draft. He got to just enjoy what other people right. were saying about Todd, Todd, Todd's mock. But, but Mel, we're going to get to the quarterbacks and we're going to talk about Jalen Carter. Anything that really riled you up yesterday about Todd's mock draft to kick off the show today? I think you did a good job. Uh, you know, I'll grade it at the end, but it's hard when you don't have yet the final determination on where you stand. I don't know if Todd finalized his rankings. I haven't. So I think you try to take into consideration mm -hmm. your rankings with which you're hearing and then the team needs and they change. Obviously, free agency is just about over. Uh, but I think it's, try it's tough to really try to figure and try to put in perspective how we feel about a player, yet how do they feel. And when you try to balance that out for mock drafts and player rankings, this is the most difficult time of the year for me. And I'm, I don't know about it. I won't speak for you, Todd, on that end. But I think when you do these mocks, and you hear so many different conflicting reports, that's what our listeners have to realize. You talk to one team, and they'll tell you one thing. Another team or two will tell you something different. So how do you try to build a consensus? Sometimes you flat out can't build a consensus on players. And my question to you, Todd, is this. Who are the two or three players that you had the most differing opinions on from your friends in the National Football League? Oof. I would say, you know, there's just kind of a split in the league at, at tight end. With more, more, more teams I talk to with, uh, mm -hmm. have Dalton Kincaid. 
from Utah as the number one tight end. And, and there are still a bunch that like Michael Mayer, and, and those are the teams that typically want an extension of their offensive line. The Notre Dame uh, tight end is probably the, if not the best blocking tight end, certainly the best of the, of the guys we're talking about in the first two rounds. So, you know, that, that's one spot. I would say also, you know, Jalen Carter's a hotbed. Uh, Tyree Wilson, defensive end from, from Texas Tech, there are varying opinions, but I would say those are probably a, a few of the guys. And then, and then wide receiver, not necessarily who the receivers are potentially in the first round, but where they belong in this year's class. You know, is it 15 to, to, uh, to 31 or is it more 20 to 31 in that range? I think that's been interesting to, to just talk to different guys in the league. Great question there by Mel, by the way. So let's go ahead and dive into this mock draft a little bit. And we're going to start with the quarterbacks. It's kind of how we always start things. But I think it makes sense for us to just briefly address the top two because it seems like we're pretty close to unanimous in our belief that it's going to be C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young in some order. Todd, you have C.J. Stroud first in this mock draft. Sounds like I wouldn't have to twist your arm too much to convince you that it's instead Mm -mm. Bryce Young. But we've kind of landed. Those two, we believe, are going one-two in some order between Carolina and Houston. Anything else you think we really need to add to the conversation that hasn't already been put out there? I, you know, I think it's interesting that, that C.J. Stroud got all this momentum off of the pro day and, and, and all the talk about C.J. Stroud and how he fits Frank Reich and you know, 6'4 to 6'6 quarterbacks. That's who Frank Reich has worked with over his career. And, but you got to remember, too, he didn't draft those quarterbacks. And Scott Fitterer, the GM from, you know, who was with Seattle when they drafted Russell Wilson, they took a chance on a smaller quarterback, albeit in the third round, because we saw how that worked out. So, and then you talk to Mort and you talk to Shefty, and they, they've been hearing all along that it's Bryce Young, but Vegas has got a minus 330 for Stroud and plus 240 for, for Bryce Young at number one. Not that I'm taking that into consideration, I just think it's interesting. Like, and then you talk to people in the league and, and you hear different things. So. I'm not saying it's 50-50. I know this. I've been told this by a very reliable source. All the key decision makers seem to be leaning or are leading in one direction. They haven't had that final meeting where they say, you know, gauntlet down, picks over, we're taking this guy. We're taking Stroud or we're taking Young. But it seems like they've kind of made a consensus decision without making it final yet within the organization. The problem is we, the information hasn't come out. I mean, Morton and Shefty are the closest to um, in terms of what they're they're getting informa- information wise, as they always are, but um, but it'll be interesting to see. I could see it going either way, but if Morton Shefty think that this is the time to go out and bet that, folks, go get that plus two forty on on Bryce Here's Young because they say it it's more more often than not, it's coming true. Any closing thoughts there, Mel, on these two quarterbacks? Yeah, I think it's a flip of the coin. It reminds me of some days where we used to walk down in the morning and not know. Remember the Meyer Bledsoe year and different yeah. years along the way where you're trying to just to figure out who I remember Josh Allen. I came down the morning of the draft a few years. I said, it's got to be Josh number one. And they said, it's Baker Mayfield. I said, what? I don't know, Todd, what we were talking about the night before. It wasn't Baker Mayfield going number one. And then all of a sudden, the curveball came and it's Baker and, and Josh slid a little bit. Uh, I think it's going to be interesting. And Todd projected the trade for Will Levis. Tampa Bay moving up. And if you think about the sliding quarterbacks over the last few years, when you think go back to Josh Allen, okay, what did the Buffalo Bills do? They didn't wait. They went from 12 to 7 yep. to get Josh Allen once he slid just a bit, okay? Then you think about Justin Fields a couple years ago. 
Bears didn't wait. They went from 20 to 11, that trade with the New York Giants to get Justin Fields. Worked out pretty good for those two teams, right? So if Tampa Bay, as Todd suggests, goes from, what, 19 to 14 on that trade with New England to get the sliding Will Levis, people say, why is he sliding? Hey, why did they slide? Why did ha- It just happens. Why did Aaron Rodgers, two or three weeks before the draft, when Aaron Rodgers and Alex Smith came out, Todd, I thought Aaron Rodgers was going number one. In fact, I got mocked him number one. And he dropped into the 20s, what, 24. So, again, things happen uh, in the draft you can always look at. But I think the trade that you projected for Will Levis and also getting Hendon Hooker, who Mike Tannenbaum had going fifth to Seattle, Todd, I believe you had Hendon Hooker mocked, Mm -hmm. not just a pick for Mike, but a mock based on what you're hearing from people in the NFL, which surprises me. I have a late second, early third round grade on Hendon Hooker right now. All right, so Todd, on the Will Levis trade, which uh, Mel referenced, 19 to 14, mm-hmm. Tampa Bay moves up from 19, New England moves back from 14. Again, don't worry about the trade details. This is more about the team moving up than the price that they are paying. But how come he slides that far, and why is Tampa the right team to move up? There are other teams, as an example, Washington, who's just a pick 16, who some think yep. could still use a quarterback. Why Tampa making the move up to grab Will Levis? I just look at Tampa's situation, and, and obviously they have a lot of holes to fill. There's no question. But you've got – you drafted Kyle Trask two years ago in the second round. He's, he's attempted nine passes in two years and really has a team. And with Will Levis, I think he could use a year. I know he's going to be a 24-year-old rookie, but I think he could use a year to develop his processing skills inside the pocket, you know, help him learn the system so he can cut down on the 23 interceptions that he had the past two years. I think there's some developing to do. So maybe you have a year with Baker and then you turn it over to to a young quarterback in Will Levis who is on the cheap. So any of these teams, I mean, you look at 11 with Tennessee with a veteran quarterback that's eating up a ton of cap space in Ryan Tannehill who's a middle-level quarterback. you got Baker Mayfield coming in. It's not a ton of cap space, but it's still significantly more than what you're going to be paying a rookie quarterback. Washington, their situation, like all of these teams – and you say, well, I don't want to trade up and go get a guy. But if you're in that range and you need a quarterback beyond next year, this is the time to do it. If there's a guy that starts to fall and gets outside the top three or top five where Seattle's picking, then I think it gets interesting because we've seen what Philadelphia Eagles have done. In the, in really going back to Andy Reid, but most recently giving Carson Wentz all that money, but still using Jalen Hurts as a second-round draft pick to bring in. And, and he's transform the whole organization because they developed them on the back end and they year by year incremental improvement and and we've seen with san francisco what they do they're always drafting quarterbacks even though trey lance they draft brock purdy and he comes in and they drafted trey lance with garoppolo already there and they were having success so to me that's the new formula with the with the way the cap is with the rookie contracts after the collective bargaining agreement it went from 75 million five years guaranteed down to about 25 million. Now we're up to about 35 million, okay? But you're talking about 35 million with that fifth year option over five years versus like what Lamar's looking for is seven times that in guaranteed money. So if you're going to build an organization, you've got to do it when you've got a rookie quarterback. So if you're Tennessee at 11, Washington 15, 19 Tampa Bay, those are the organizations that I think have to be aggressive in trying to get one of these quarterbacks because it could set you up for a lot of success and a lot of success with the salary cap to fill out your roster moving forward. It's always amazing to think, by the way, Todd, the last quarterback to go number one, actually the last player to go number one overall prior to the new CBA, Sam Bradford, who became like a first ball at Hall of Famer right. for his football earnings 
Cam Newton, the first quarterback after the new CBA, a far superior player, a league MVP, a guy who led a team to a Super Bowl run in a 15-1 regular season, made less money, at least at the outset of his career. He ended up making much more over the course of made, his career. Made about a third of the money in his rookie contract. Yeah, and he made up for it over time, but uh, that was a dramatic shift yes, in the did. rookie scale. All right, so let's dive into Seattle at number five. And, you know, I think one of the things about the Seahawks is that because they have, A, the same leadership in place that's been around for a while – B, they've done some stuff over the years that has been unconventional. They kind of make for a fun top five team because you can convince yourself they're going to do anything. They could take a quarterback. They could take a player that fills the most pressing need. They can make take the most talented player regardless of position. You have them taking Jalen Carter, Todd. Walk us through that decision-making there because it felt like maybe two, three weeks ago, perhaps Carter was drifting down boards as the legal situation percolated. Are teams growing more comfortable, you believe, with where that's at, and that's why he's a fixture inside your top ten now? Listen, Field, talent is always going to outweigh character so long as it's not going to affect his playing time. And it's not with all organizations, but generally speaking. And that's why I said before, when you look at it and you've got Seattle picking at five and then all the teams picking from six to ten, I just Detroit at six, Las Vegas seven, Atlanta, Chicago, Philadelphia rounding out the top ten. He can go to any one of those teams based off of need. So Jalen Carter has a, a, a one-year probation. He's got some community service, a $1,000 fine, but he's not going to miss any playing time. Now, there's a lot of characters, football character stuff, practice habits, you know, not giving a great effort in practice, talking back to coaches, coaches not being able to coach him hard. There's a lot of that stuff. And it's all like based on seven different sources that I have. So I'm not making anything up. Just like I wasn't making anything up prior to the incident that happened off the field, him gaining nine pounds, not being able to finish it. None of this is made up. I would never do that. I'm pulling for all of these guys, whether they've had some, some pasts or not. But the, the bottom line is you as an organization have got to figure out can we deal with this, and do we have the culture around enough veteran leadership? So John Schneider last year and Pete Carroll, they had a draft that was full of high-character guys that came in, and I think it was the best draft of any team in the NFL last year. So you, there's one of two ways of looking at this, and Pete Carroll's always been, historically, a guy, it's kind of, hey, John, come, let's bring in this guy, and you know, I can, in our system, we're out in Seattle, like he's going to be just fine, and John's, they, they kind of go back and forth on that. But do they think we got all these high-character guys a year ago. The three quarterbacks came off the board. If it's not Will Levis, do we take the number one player in this draft, knowing what we're getting, and it's going to be some problems in practice and might not be everything that we want for six days a week, but on Sunday he might be one of the best interior pass rushers and players in the league, or do we pass, take a lesser player, or take a quarterback at this spot and just go in a different direction? So that, it's going to be a fascinating pick for this Seattle Seahawks team because quarterback is clearly in their sight line. They've been to every one of the big pro days. They're taking selfies with all these quarterbacks. And it's not just to, to send a message that, hey, you got to get ahead of us. If we're going to take a quarterback. They legitimately will take a quarterback because they don't plan on picking at number five anytime soon. All right, so Mel, here's how I'll toss it to you. Let's say that Todd's board is how the actual board plays out. One, two, three, go quarterback, quarterback, quarterback with Anthony Richardson to the Colts in a trade-up. Four instead would be Arizona, who takes Will Anderson Jr. If you're John Schneider, what are you doing with that pick five? Then understanding Jalen Carter is an option. Is Tyree Wilson an option right now? Who are some of the prospects that are in the mix for that fifth overall pick? 
I would have to believe, guys, it's what Todd talked about with Jalen Carter. At some point, you're getting the best on football ability. And the way he played at Georgia, he's the best player in this draft. They need him. Seattle's defense needs Jalen Carter. They can view this. We talked about it with quarterback for Seattle. Are they going to take Richardson? Are they going to take Lev? Are they going to take a quarter? It's a bonus pick. They pick again at 20. This is a pick they didn't think they would ever have. They got it with the Wilson trade. It's high. They don't want to, they don't think we're ever picking here again. So they could view it as Carter, the number one player on our board at five. Are you kidding me? It's automatic. Or they could say, okay, a quarterback that we're not going to have a chance to get unless we give a lot of picks up and go way up in the draft to get that guy. We're not going to get him, so we can look at the quarterback at five, whoever slides through. The problem is going to be here for quarterback. What does Indianapolis do? Okay, they're going to take basically they're going to take a quarter, but Lamar Jackson's going to be in that discussion for a while. We know that, but I think it's going to be really mm-hmm. fascinating yep. with Shane Steichen and Chris Ballard at Indy Tide. Listen, was here's Ballard and Steichen. Steichen had Justin Herbert when he was the OC at the Chargers, rookie year, right. thirty-one right. touchdown passes, best in NFL history for a rookie. So he had the the pocket passer with the big arm and Herbert. Okay, think Levis. Then he goes to Philadelphia. And Jalen Hurts this past year had 18 rushing touchdowns, Mm -hmm. the most by a quarterback in NFL history. So you had the dual threat in Hurts, which is Anthony Richardson. You had the pocket pass with the big arm in Levis, which was Herbert. So what what does Indy do? How does Steichen and Ballard figure that out with Lamar Jackson looming as a possibility? And that impacts Seattle because then you're talking about is it going to be the fourth quarterback? And, and, and also, Todd, and explain to people, our listeners, and everybody in the field, you know this as well as anybody. We can say the stack to the quarterbacks are one. What if the fourth quarterback they don't like? They're not going to like all these quarterbacks necessarily. So if the team right. picking there says, we don't like the, the quarterback that's left, then we're going to take Carter. So you know, just because we say, well, the quarterback's there, they got to take him. Hey, man, I not like that guy. We saw it. Every- well, here, here's the other thing, too, Mel. The other thing is, sorry, Phil is when you look at it, too, like I've got them moving up. I have the last couple drafts moving up one spot to Arizona to prevent a team from moving into that number three spot ahead of them. But if, if we don't think Seattle is going to move up and give away other picks because they're still trying to build on the momentum from last year, and we were told from multiple sources that Las Vegas, unless a quarterback named Stroud or Young winds up at number three, they're not interested in moving up. Then you've got teams who I've mentioned before 100 times, 11 Tennessee, 16 Washington, 19 Tampa Bay. Are they willing to give up all that it takes? It's a huge difference moving up from 19 to 14 or even 19 to 11 or 10 than it is moving into the top three from those spots, 11 through 19. It's a huge difference. And then so you're Indian. Do you roll the dice and say, you know what? We really like this guy. We want to get him, but it's going to cost us a second this year or a third this year and either a second or third next year just to move up one spot when we know Arizona's not going to take him. So they're betting on another team not moving up to number three. That's another – are you playing chicken? Or it's like, hey, the top two quarterbacks went, we're in love with Levis or we're in love with Richardson. I agree with you, Mel. They're not going to be in love with both of them. They're not going to sit there and say, you know what, we like Richardson a little bit more, but we'll be just happy with Levis. That's not how it works. It's either – it's our guy, or, or, or we don't take a quarterback here, in my opinion. So it'll be interesting to see how the Colts handle that. Do they make a move up and give away a couple of picks, or do they wind up just staying, staying pat and saying, we hope that he gets there, and if he doesn't, we go in a different direction? I'm not trying to like bring back scar tissue here, especially for Bears fans, but there has been a recent trade in which a team moved up just one spot. That was a 2018 NFL draft. That was the Bears moving up from three to two. San Francisco moved back by one slot, picked up some extra draft capital. The Bears, of course, took Mitch Trubisky. 
a decision that if they could do it over again, they probably would. Uh, let's move to some a, a more specific position in this draft. Is Over the past five years, there have not been more than nine cornerbacks taken in the first two rounds. But in your most recent mock, Todd, you have 11 cornerbacks. It is a deep and talented class. And we spent a lot of time talking about Devin Witherspoon, who had his pro day today at Illinois, ran extremely well. Him and Christian Gonzalez, I'd be stunned, stunned if they made it out of the top 12 or 15 picks, maybe even out of the top 10 picks. But there are other good players available. And I'm going to go back and forth between you two with some of the players in the second round. I'll start at pick 36, the first selection for the Rams. It's Keely Ringo from Georgia, Todd, yet another member of this incredible defense that has helped them to back-to-back national championships. Yeah, Keeley's, Keeley's an intriguing player, and I don't think he's played his best football yet. I think it's in front of him, which is a positive. You know, 6'2", 207 pounds. Here's a guy that has blazing, you know, good, really good speed. He's got average arm length, but then he had the 4'3", in his 40, one of the fastest times of all the cornerbacks, one of the fastest times of all the, all the uh, all participants at the combine. He's a physical press corner, and he does his best work, in my opinion, when the play is in front of him. So, but the problem is, while he's fluid and he can turn and run, I think he struggles when the ball's in the air. Now, you're going to see here on this play, he does a good job on the interception. But when he's out of phase a little bit, and you saw a couple big touchdowns allowed this past season, that's when he's gotten into trouble. And that can come with experience, and some guys it just doesn't come. But Keely Ringo, I think, early in the second round, you're getting a value on a guy. Remember, he had that pick six for a touchdown two years ago in the national championship, kind of sealed that game. He's had some big plays over his career, but he's got to improve in terms of locating and tracking the ball down the field when he's a little bit out of phase. Mel, we've seen some recent highly drafted Georgia corners. What are your thoughts on Keeley Ringo? Maybe not specifically as compared to a guy like Eric Stokes, but just relative to this class. A lot of mixed opinion on Keely Ringo. Uh, you know, some had thought automatically he was going in the first round. He's gotten pushed down into the second round area, and he's one of those players where you talk to some teams that say, we're good with Ringo, or some think he's a little overrated. So there's mixed opinion there. A guy I think you looked at in terms of Ringo being a second round pick, how about Riley Moss at Iowa, Todd? Riley Moss is a guy had a ton of interceptions. He's talking about ball skills, talking about the ability to maybe move inside the safety. He's an instinctive football player. He's all, number 33, always showed up big at key moments. He ran it. You knew he'd run well, track guy. You knew that would happen. Obviously, battle-tested yeah. in the Big Ten with the Iowa Hawkeyes. Very well-coached football player. He looks to me to be a locked second-round pick. Some people think he may kick inside. We'll see. But Riley Moss is a name I'm getting a lot of talk about him right now. And Cam Smith, if he stays focused on the job at hand, Cam Smith, cornerback South Carolina, probably figures he was getting some first-round love back during the season. He's more of a two right now. But certainly he's in that mix. And DJ Turner from Michigan, after running that 4-2-6, he's 5'11 and a half, 178, but he's been durable. He's a guy who will tackle. He's outstanding in press and off. He was a special teams guy before he became a starter. He's a hardball favorite. Uh, I think DJ Turner is now, right now, in the mix to be in that 25 to 31 range, at worst, an early second rounder. Well, perhaps Todd needs to adjust yeah, his mock like draft then, right, Todd? I mean, you got him 46 of the Patriots for that 4 2 6 40. Yeah, and I, listen, I think he could, he could come off the board. You know, the 4-2-6 is – listen, there's no position more important than 40-yard dash and cornerback. And, and if, if you really look at, like, the combination of arm length and speed, those are the two things that, that really turn – kind of can turn a player's evaluation around. If, if they've got great length and they can run like this or anywhere close to a 4-2-6, somewhere in the 4-3s, they're going to get bumped up quickly. So 
He, he doesn't have the long arms that you look for. He's got shorter arms. I think like almost right around 31 inches. But he's got that speed. 17 pass breakups the last two years. Three interceptions. Two-year starter. Kind of got better as his career progressed. And I agree with Mel. I, listen, I, I think it could be late first. I project him early second, early to mid-second, but I, I, it won't surprise me if, if he comes off the board somewhere in that top 40 picks. And just last one here, talk quickly. Uh, Mel mentioned it, but Cam Smith, South Carolina. I thought I had a good week down there in Mobile at the Senior Bowl. Big player, cornerback uh, lineage in, in South Carolina has been pretty strong over these past few drafts. Thoughts on what Cam Smith would bring to a Steelers secondary that lost Cam Sutton in free agency this offseason? Yeah, listen, he was another guy we talked about maybe as a first-rounder coming into the year. He's six foot, about 180 pounds, average arm length. He ran well, not elite like DJ Turner or Keely Ringo in the 4-2, 4-3 range, but he, he ran a 4-4-3 in his 40-yard dash, had a 38-inch vertical, 11-1 broad jump, shows that lower body explosiveness. You know, he, he's made some plays, 16 pass breakups, four interceptions the last two years. I like his instincts. I like his ball skills. But I don't see the same fluidity. You can see there, kind of a long-legged guy, tightness in his hips, and he has a bad habit at the top of stems, meaning when the top of the receiver's routes, when he's getting ready to break in, break out, run a post corner, whatever it is, he gets a little grabby. And you can get away with that more in college. You're not gonna get away with it past five yards in the NFL. So when he starts to worry that his hips aren't fluid enough to open and turn and run, that's when he kind of relies on his hands. So that's going to be a big transition for him. I think he's at his best when he's in off coverage, meaning off the line of scrimmage, uses his instincts, his fast eyes to keep everything in front of him. So if he's in a scheme that utilizes that strength and prevents him from having to play that tight man coverage where he gets grabby at the, at the top of the stem, I think he'll be, he'll be best suited. Let's move forward from the cornerbacks to the tight ends. And the cornerback group, as we mentioned, 11 in Todd's mock draft. But the tight end group, also really, really strong. And I know, Todd, you had a conference call. This is Wednesday yeah. earlier today with the media. And a lot of people asking about this deep tight end class. Six in your top 62. There's not a Kyle Pitts, right? But what are we getting in this tight end class on the whole? Well, in the first round, you're, you're getting at least two, maybe three with Darnell Washington from, from Georgia but at least two guys that, that belong in the first round grade-wise and have very different styles. You've got, you've got Mayer from, from Notre Dame, who's, you know, to me, like he's, he's a throwback. In line, he's an extension of your offensive line, really good run blocker, good in pass pro if you keep him in every once in a while. But he can flex out. He's never going to beat you with his vertical speed, but he's physical as a route runner. He knows how to utilize his body and shield defenders. And he's got a really good feel for zone coverage, and he has excellent ball skills, and he's a bulldozer after the catch. So you're not going to get more than like 13, 14 yards per catch out of him, but you get the complete package. Now, with Kincaid, you're getting basically a yoked-up wide receiver, a guy who's going to be in the slot a lot. You can flex him out wide and, and utilize him as a route runner with acceleration. He still has the frame to utilize his size and get down the field. Great job on contested catches. 50-50 balls, and also just plucking and running after the catch. He plucks confidently on the move like a wide receiver at times. You just see his soft hands, but also strong in traffic. So those are the two guys in the first round. Michael Mayer, Dalton Kincaid, that I believe are locks to go in the first, very different styles. Then Darnell Washington, you know, he's 6'7", he's a monster. He's, again, is never going to be a great elite receiver, but he does have some build-up speed, and with that length, He's able to make some plays, you know, on 50-50 balls, jump balls in the red zone, and he can contribute, and he's also a really good blocker in line. So those are the top three. And then after that, 
you know, Luke Musgrave, not a good blocker at all coming out of Oregon yes. State, coming off the injury, but played at the Senior Bowl. Very good pass catcher. He's got a chance to be a difference maker in the passing game. And then I've got Brenton Strange as, as my wild card in this group. Yeah. Looked at his production at Penn State. It's average. Eh. You know, just eh. Then you look at his combine number. This is before I even popped in the tape because he was an underclassman. I didn't get to him early. So this is about a month, a month or so ago. Pop in the tape and after looking at his combine numbers, and they're, nah, you know, fine. Everything's average. Nothing's poor. Nothing's good. Everything's average. Then I watch this guy get off the line of scrimmage, the acceleration he has, the route running, getting in and out of breaks, not just savvy, but crisp. Then I see him as an inline blocker. He's got this narrow frame, but he is nasty, man. I mean, he will, he does, he's not happy till he's got you on the ground or he's picked a fight with you when the whistle's blowing. So I talked to Frank Leonard, who was my tight ends coach from Richmond. He's been working 43 years, and he's had seven tight ends going to the NFL. He's a Penn State coach. He texted me after I sent out a tweet to him. He's, he was just raving about this young man. So he, like his work, ethic, his work ethic, his focus, his determination, he's tough as nails. Like he's going to be as good as any other tight end that I've, I've put in the NFL or I've had you know, the pleasure of coaching over the years in the NFL, and that's 43 years it's been. So... I like Brenton Strange, and I know that's not a, a familiar name that a lot of people have talked about, but I think he could be a second-round pick at worst, early third. All right, a lot to digest there, Mel. Anything that you want to dive into, those are six tight ends. Take this whichever way you want. You can highlight one. You can highlight them all. What do you think? I'm very hesitant to say this because last week I said something about a thousand percent correct that McShay was, and somebody cut the cord on me, and I was done. So I'm really <laughs> hesitant to praise. Maybe when I praise McShay, somebody doesn't like it. Okay, they want me to. And I said, hey, I said a thousand percent correct on Brent Strange. I'm done. Oh, oh, we lost you, Mel. Sorry, you're done for the day. Okay, <laughs> I'm gone. So I, I hesitate to do that, but but I will do it anyway. So if if, if somebody cuts the cord on me. We got, we got something going here. Somebody's okay. listening and doesn't like it. But Brenton Strange, you're a thousand percent right. Uh, I, he's a name you hear. I like this. You, the athleticism, he'd hurdle guys. You'd see him at Penn State. You know, he'd flash. And you'd say, boy, that guy, 86, pretty good. And then you'd see him block. And he was so aggressive. He'd really get after you. And you put it all together. And then his name pops when you make your call. Say, hey, do a little more of a deep dive on Brenton Strange. Check him out a little bit. And when they say that, Todd, check out a guy. What does that mean? That means he's moving up. So you're a thousand percent right. Brenton Strange, I think, is a third rounder at worst. Yeah, third rounder at worst. You have him in the second. I can definitely see that. I have mock two, mock 4.0, and the second round in the first round in, in unison coming out on Tuesday. So I have a one and two coming out Tuesday. Brenton Strange is going to be right there. And you mentioned Luke Musgrave. He was injured early, second game of the year. Came back late, got senior ball right late in the, in the process. Runs 4-4-9. He's angular. And the blocking, he knows he needs to work on. Uh, he's a guy, when we talk about move tight ends, guys you can move wide, guys that are inline guys, there's a variety of that this year. Sam Laporte at Iowa, they move him out 84. He's making outstanding catches. Think about a guy, a tough kid, who was rugged, got hurt early, I believe, in the Iowa game, then came back later. Tucker Kraft from South Dakota State. Luke Schoonmaker at Michigan made a lot of big plays in that offense. Will Mallory ran a phenomenal 40 at Miami. I thought Payne Durham 
Burrow mm-hmm. from Purdue as just a pure football player in the Big Ten. Didn't run well, but pure football player. He was impressive. And Aiden O'Connell got the ball to him early and often. So somebody's going to get lost in the shuffle at tight end and drop into the fifth, sixth round. And somebody's going to get a bargain. I don't know who that player will be, but I can guarantee you, title on day three, when we're sitting out there in Kansas City outside watching day three un- unravel and everybody's making their picks, one of these tight ends may slide through the cracks. And by the way, I think that the depth of this tight end class was reflected in free agency. Very soft market for guys like Dalton Schultz and Mike Kosicki, yeah. players who have been productive mm-hmm. in the NFL. Dalton Schultz was a franchise tag player last year. Same with Kosicki. They're getting contracts on one-year deals worth up to $9 million. Team know, teams know they can get some good players here in the draft. We're going to come back and finish up with not just Todd's spotlight players, but also mail will go off script. But before we do that, a word from our friends over at Geico who ask, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Well, of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even up with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more. And Geico is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to geico.com or contact your local agent today. It takes hard work to be the best in the game. Planning, commitment, resilience, sweat. That's why Old Dominion Freight Line, the number one national LTL carrier for quality, works hard to be the best in the game and is proud to support those striving to do the best in theirs. First Draft Podcast is presented by Old Dominion Freight Line, helping the world keep promises. Alrighty, we're back for more here, and each of these men's going to have a chance to sort of highlight some players or things that are on their mind. We'll start with you, Todd, your spotlight players, one on defense, one on offense. We talked about the cornerback group already. Let's dive into it a little bit deeper. Yeah, these are two players that I have in the second round that I think have really risen over the process. And let's let's talk about this cornerback this year. I was going through today. You might have listened to some of the media call. The cornerback class, it's hard to find your typical like nickel slot guy. They're all 6'1", 6'3", longer arms. And I think one of the most intriguing of those longer cornerbacks is Julius Brents, the cornerback from Kansas State. You know, the more I, I saw his workout numbers, then got to his tape, and, and you see, like, this is a player that can play at the next level and press press coverage. He's six foot three, Mel. 198 pounds, he'll continue to fill out that frame. He ran a solid four, five, three. That's that's pretty good for his size. But in 32 and a half inch arms, which is above average, and and what I love is the fact that, or sorry, 34 inch arms. He's got left tackle arms. I read that wrong. 34 inch arms. That's what stands out. So you got that height at 6'3, 34 inch arm, second highest vertical jump at 41 and a half, and longest broad jump, 11'6, of all the cornerbacks in this class. So good luck throwing around him, good luck throwing over him, because he's got elite length and he's got enough speed to play in, in that press. Press man coverage. He also excels in press zone because he's got good eyes. So I can see any coverage where you're allowing him to get physical and use that length to press. I think he's going to fit. Brent's to me is solidly in the second round of what's developing into a really deep cornerback class. Then another player, Jonathan Mingo, wide receiver from Ole Miss. I was intrigued to see what he ran, and he wound up running really well. I was, I, I didn't, I, I saw some flashes and some acceleration on tape, but I didn't see him running a four-four-six at 6'2", 220 pounds. He's got 32 and a half inch arms. He's got huge mitts to swallow the ball. Almost 10 and a half inch hand span. He's a big, strong, physical, tough slot receiver. He worked a lot in the slot. 
and he you see obviously in the perimeter just as I say that but he works a lot in the slot can kind of utilize his size to body up some smaller defensive backs works the middle of field no fear over the middle tough catches in traffic does a great job going up he's got enough speed and athleticism where he can get some separation but he also excels when the ball's up in the air in those 50 50 situations so Jonathan Mingo I thought maybe third round coming into the draft process but the way he's run and all the things, the reports I've gotten back from teams, don't be surprised to see Mingo as a second-round draft pick as well. I let am. me just say this, Field, before he jumps in. Okay. I promise you, I don't know why. Maybe it's just I love Mel, and, and I, like, I just can't get enough of all the banter. This is like probably the next three, four minutes is the best part of my week when it comes to work. Because I get to sit back and listen to a, a mad scientist just go riff on, like, and, like, just listen to, like, how many different places he bounces, how many players he throws in. Like, for all of you listening and watching, this is a treat. Like, yeah. this is – you get you got a three or four minutes right now to just get inside the brain of Mel Kuyper, which is a dangerous neighborhood, but it can be a lot of fun to be in at times. So, uh, th- that is the perfect tee-up to Mel's off script. So, Mel, take it away. Again, you could talk about a long snapper. You could talk about a cornerback prospect from 25 years ago. It's your world. That was one of the best intros I've ever heard from Todd, Todd, Todd. I appreciate that, pal. But <laughs> welcome, I can't Kuiper. live up to the hype. I'm going to let everybody down. That, what you just did for two minutes was the best two minutes of your career there. That intro, boy. I, t- I always said he should be an actor. <laughs> I think he did with Caliendo years ago with me with the coffee and the stuff. That was that was. Emmy-winning award stuff. But uh, to me, I'll go for two guys that are, I think, Todd, we're going to be day three, and we love day three, right? Juice. You'll be drinking some juice, right? You always have your lemon. You always have your doing. You're trying to learn the bathroom a hundred times on day three, and I'm not. But Juice Scruggs, center from Penn State. There you go, pal. Uh, juice Scruggs, center from Penn State. Formerly guard, right guard, left guard. The anchor mm-hmm. of that offensive line at Penn State did a heck of a job. 6'3", about 303. He was a captain. Good football player. He's not elite, but he can be a solid starter in the NFL. And he provides interior versatility to be center, right guard, left guard experience as a starter. So Juice Scruggs on day three from Penn State center. Going to be an intriguing guy to watch. He will come off the board probably in the fourth, fifth round area. Another guy, and we had talked about players not invited to the combine workout there's probably going to be, what, Todd, usually 30, 35 guys that we highlight during the course of the draft that weren't invited yeah, to the Combine. About but 10%. Carl yep. Brooks from Bowling Green, the defensive lineman. Carl Brooks wasn't from Bowling Green invited to the Combine. You had a really good football player with scheme versatility on the D-line out of Bowling Green. But another guy, Jarek Bernard Converse. He was at Oklahoma State. Yes, he was, was at Oklahoma State in the Big 12, right? 47 straight starts. Four-year starter at Oklahoma State. Had 11 pass breakups a couple years ago for the Cowboys. Goes to LSU. Why did he go to LSU? His dream of Jarek Bernard Converse was to play for LSU. He was out of Shreveport. He wanted to go back home. Finished his career at LSU for Brian Kelly. Did a heck of a job there. Had five pass breakups, a couple picks, one of which in the end zone against Bryce Young. Think about him. This is a six foot and a half, six one, two oh five corner. At his pro day the other day, ran four four flat twice, had a forty two vertical, and this past year, as I said, played good solid football. He can kick inside the safety. I mentioned Riley Moss from Iowa, corner safety possibly, corner safety for Jarek Bernard Converse. Uh, Tim, who, like I say, will play with a chip. He's gonna he's gonna try to prove the doubters wrong. He said, "Hey, you overlooked me for the combine. I can play." Tested really well. Had a great career at Oklahoma State in the Big Twelve. Then he goes to LSU in the SEC. Plays solid football. Uh, Jarek Bernard Converse is gonna get some attention. He will be a day three pick. I love it. 
I love it, Todd. You said it perfectly. There was so much there for Mel. We had prospects. We had stories. We had anecdotes. We had information that will help us on day three. And I know that uh, a lot of the attention during the pre-draft process is justifiably paid to the quarterbacks and the top prospects every single year. And we are a television company that certainly has to focus in on the names that move the needle. But the reality of the draft is that on day three, there are players that are going to make a dramatic impact on teams all across the NFL. And I'm not talking about the bad teams. I'm talking about the Super Bowl winning Chiefs with Isaiah Pacheco in round seven or Jalen Watson in round seven, guys who legitimately helped them win the Super Bowl this past season. It's a beautiful part of the draft. It's part of the reason why I have so much respect for all the work that Mel and Todd do, not just on the names that everybody knows, but also the names that nobody knows. Always fun to wrap up with some of Mel and Todd's players that are a bit off the radar, even if they deserve a bit more attention. You can read Todd's full mock draft on ESPN+. Plus. You can also watch a TV special on ESPN+. Plus. Chris Mortensen joined us with plenty of nuggets. You do not want to miss out on those. First draft is back next week. Again, 22 days until the 2023 NFL draft. Ooh. For Mel and Todd, I am Field. We'll talk to you guys again 